A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes and entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. That point is something new. We have begun our discussions on Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. So we are going through chapter three. So from the prologue to chap up until chapter four is what we're talking about. So if you haven't read through that, catch up and we'll see you on the flip side. Hey there, this is Cross and I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. Dude, dude, I'm so fucking excited. Like, this is such a fun, fresh take on, like, this show. It's just a a reset. And I loved the way we did the show before. And we're kind of keeping the same like format, but just having a new book in front of me is super, super, super exciting. So I hope, I hope that comes through in this, in this episode. I think it will because I'm going to be gushing about it quite a bit. I think it's, it's really cool. Like I am very excited. This is before we're like going to really get into talking about this whole lot, but we obviously covered the entirety of the red rising series at, published so far before. And now like jumping into this new universe, it is so fun to now have like reset and reset expectations and starting this new world. And I'm, I'm very excited for what's to come. Yeah. And I was yeah, nervous. I was really oh, nervous to do this. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'm super nervous. It's fine. I'm I'm actually not super nervous right now, but I am still a little sick, so it might sound a little offy um, for new listeners or anything like that. I'm not generally this congested, but right now I'm on the back end of a of a virus, um, so not COVID, thankfully, but as it were. He wants you to believe that he's <laughs> he's the COVID epicenter right now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. So today <laughs> we are discussing Mistborn, the final empire by Brandon Sanderson. And we are going to chat about chapters prologue through three or up until four, as you said, keep in mind, one of the things just on a front end note, we are because of the way the audiobook does it. We are going to always end these episodes with whatever the final jur- the journal entry above the next chapter is. So for instance, this week we are ending on the chapter four journal entry. That's because of the way the audiobook does it, because we both listen to the audiobook read by Michael Kramer, as well as uh we obviously read the book. Yeah. <laughs> so we're we're kind of dealing with a mixed medium. We're gonna just do that. It's easy enough to just read that next little section uh at the top of those chapter headings. So just just a little nugget right before you finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little something to tease next week. It's perfect. It's such a good way to end each thing because it's a cliffhanger naturally um, in its own right. So a little uh, palate cleanser. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of fun. So before we talk about the book, first, let's talk about what we're drinking. PJ, what are you having today? I have made myself an elderflower gin cocktail. I was trying to make a fun like thematic name for it, but couldn't think of one Um, and didn't have that much time to 
think about it between making it and sitting down here. So it is one and a half ounces of gin. I'm using the barrel rested gin that you got me, the end of days gin. Yes. It's so fucking good. It's the so best good. gin on the planet. Three quarters of an I've ounce tried. of lemon juice, half an ounce of maraschino liqueur, half an ounce of elderflower liqueur, and an egg white all shaken and garnished with a lemon peel and a cocktail cherry. Um, it's super, super nice, delicate, a little bit sweet, but refreshing, and I'm really excited about it. I don't know if I would actually change anything in a subsequent make. Maybe, maybe, um, like, one dash of bitters, maybe, hmm. but I don't know if it even needs that. It's not, not super well balanced. It's it's sweet and a, a little bit tart, but... Um, I really like it, so I'm going to keep keep it as it is in my keep, recipe book. Keep drinking it the way that it is. That's nice. Mm-hmm. That sounds really good. Sounds uh, sounds great. Sounds refreshing. Yeah. And usually, I would be following this up with a beer to sip on because we tend to take a little bit of time to go through notes and stuff, so I drink like half the cocktail before we actually start recording. The, the reason, or the way we're doing the recording this week, it's super front-loaded because... We've got a lot going on, which means I also have to cram all of my homework and studying and shit into the time that we've got. So I am just drinking water with lemon juice after this, and uh, that way I can not be too fucked up when I start working on homework (laughs) and projects after this. So uh, that's what I've got next. Super reasonable. Not that we're fucked up at the end of every episode, but yeah, I mean, given that it's your finals week leading into your like finals two weeks, I should say, um, Mm -hmm. it's definitely, you know, good. You want to keep that time productive. So totally understood. But uh, what have you got? I am having a drink that was originally recommended by one of our patrons, Tim Pearson, uh, and our good friend. Uh, he recommended a drink that was called the Allomancer with a little bit of Googling. That drink is generally three-fourth ounces of Campari, three-fourth ounces orange liqueur, one-half ounce orange juice, three ounces of blood orange brighter tonic. You can sub in uh, a orange kombucha in a pinch if you can't find the brighter tonic. However... I was unable to find that and didn't have the substitute ready to go. So I altered it just a little bit. Uh, so what I'm calling this drink instead of the Alamancer is the survivor of Hath Sin, named after the part of the book, named after, you know, in, in addition to Kelsier. Uh, and so what it is, is it it is 45 milliliters of Campari, one and a half ounces, 45 milliliters triple sec, uh, 60 milliliters of orange juice, three dashes of orange bitters, and mum prosecco to top at uh six ounces or god what is that 30 milliliters times six brain 18 1800 1800 milliliters 180 milliliters fucking brain of prosecco on top so that is the cocktail the survivor of hatson and it is really fucking tasty i'm not gonna lie um, I also took a photo of it, and I realized after I took the photo, staring at the books that I put behind them, they're in the wrong order. <laughs> um, it, I, I have it ordered Well of Ascension, The Hero of Ages, and uh, The Final Empire. <laughs> Good. Like, there we go. Silly. Um, but, yeah, pretty pretty funny. You That's can call a that lot of Prosecco, man. Well, it's a, to add so to I the doubled the rest of the cocktail. Okay, but, gotcha. Yeah. 
So I doubled the cocktail, basically. Because um, generally the cocktail would be this halved. So generally it'd be a three ounce. Because generally it's a three ounce pour of of the brighter tonic, right? Yeah, so this is generally, this would be like less of a uh like coupe glass cocktail and more of like a i kind of did it in like a mid-ball glass uh so that'll be on the website by the way you can always check out our cocktails on our website wordsandwhiskey.show forward slash drinks and you can check out the pictures that we take um as well as soon some videos of us building some cocktails not all of them and that but. that doesn't the pictures Mainly, you you get the pictures because they're fun to look at, but you do get the full recipes and everything, and they're right, searchable right. by. I what what are our tags? Our tags are the cocktail, or not the cock the spirits that are used, as well yep. as the episode that they appear on for the most part. Yep, and the book, okay. and the book. Yeah, yep. right. We have so more like you books can click now. the Mistborn Final Empire tag and see all the drinks we had for the book. So mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, Tim does a good job of making our website really cool and fun to use so really 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 cool um yes for sure uh beyond that my follow-up because i don't have to be as productive after this pj i'm not going to school in addition to trying to run uh, a podcast and do a bunch of shit in one week is work uh, (laughs) full-time it's true i I do work full-time i mean yeah uh, but barely like what do you do (laughs) oh my god call people and i don't know talk i hate you um My see you work hard. I know you work hard. You have a, a stressful job, and uh, <laughs> both of us use this as kind of our escape, which is great. And hangout time and whatnot. Yeah, I have here a sidecar of mimosa to follow this up because I have I bought two full bottles of mum because they were on sale. We had one, uh, or I had one <laughs> rather for the Chernobyl episodes, and nursed for the rest of the day. I didn't finish it in the episode, um, and then I've got. It, this which will last more than more than this episode so that's kind of the, kind of the game plan yeah You're, like you are taking so far after your stepmom for that yes like, i remember going for her to the store to pick up like a case of i think it was mom it's mom yeah yeah for because it was like ah it's half off like just go get me a case of it i'm like Right. Okay. Normally, cool. like twenty nine dollars a bottle. I got two. I got three bottles for seventeen. This is great. Seventeen total. We are seven. No, seventeen a piece. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say what's great. Fuck? I mean, it's still great. Yeah. Send some this. It's a great deal. Mom's great though. Like yeah, it's, that's a good. Uh, it's prosecco, not champagne. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all champagne. It's just not from the champagne region. Yeah, but know, that's blah, 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 pretentious blah. wine shit, and who gives a right. shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we generally have a beer to follow up but this week we don't that's so interesting yeah cool i honestly i'm probably gonna end up opening something like just probably. knowing me this is gonna go on a long time <laughs> i'm like i feel like you're gonna watch a, a beer at hour two yeah uh but yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm just predicting how long this is gonna go generally here we would also have last week's predictions however there are no predictions going into this with that on the frontier what we want to say is that send in any questions that you might want PJ to answer. Uh, they can be kind of leading. I will I will kind of suss them out, figure out where they belong. If you want to ask any questions of PJ and his opinions on things, leave them here. We'll talk about them episode to episode until they're answered. Uh, yeah, send them in to us uh, either on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. Words and Whiskey Show at gmail.com. Words Whiskey Pod on Instagram and Words Whiskey Pod. Fuck, mother fuck. And Whiskey, words, whiskey is... Pod. 
with an E because we're American. So correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's how we, we spell. Show those biases often. Just want to make sure that we know and you guys know that you can send in those predictions. So yeah. with that, any other thoughts? Any anything else that you want to talk about before we get into the this very fun breakdown? Nope. I don't have anything else. Let's fucking get into it. Cool. Time to talk about Brandon Sanderson. So with that, let's get into our thoughts. We start off here with the prologue. Right off the bat, we begin with a unique piece of italicized text, one that follows us through this week's reading, talking about how this specific narrator within these statements is a prophesied hero of ages. What do you make of this prophecy that we get right at the beginning and this title, The Hero of Ages? Just these sort of journal entries in general, I'm kind of going to talk about a little bit. I don't know how unique they are. That's the other thing for any new listeners here. I am not a reader. Holy shit. How did we not intro? I mean, we did in episode zero, so that makes sense. I guess we kind of did. Yeah. But um, I don't do a lot of reading. And that was our catalyst for starting the show was I want to do more reading. Crossland has all these stories that he loves and wants me to experience with him. And uh, this is kind of the, the way to force me to do that by starting a fucking company and making me read. <laughs> right. Um, so I have like, we have a tax ID and everything. It's great. We do. <laughs> I'm not going to say Just it out loud because I don't remember it off the top of my head. And maybe we shouldn't share that. But we do have one. numbers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's public information. You might be. Able uh, I to don't know. It. I don't think it is because it's treated kind of like a social security. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, with with that in mind, I have no idea what like typical novel tropes are or like what's cliched and what's not. All I know is what I've experienced and what I find unique. And this feels unique to me is this sort of flash forward journal entry kind of style. And I'm sure it exists and I'm sure it exists elsewhere, but um, it felt super like cool and satisfying. And um, it gives us enough context to really understand the gravity of what we're dealing with without actually giving away very much information. And it, it, it's really intriguing and makes me that much more immersed into this story and into this universe and holy shit, did this grip me? (laughs) Like, I think more than anything, these journal entries are what make me truly love this like first chunk of book that we've gotten into and i'm gung-ho about it so i'm excited (laughs) that's that's great man i i can't uh agree with you more my experience with this novel i should say is um one that's actually relatively fresh as well uh that we put up months ago back in june or july we put up a poll between patreon and uh openly on twitter and instagram for people to vote on the next book series that we'd cover after Red Rising so that I could have enough time to potentially read something that I hadn't read before. Uh, I hadn't read Brandon Sanderson. It won. We talked about this a little bit in episode zero. And so these sections were also what like got its latches in me right off the bat. And then the characters, of course, as we start to understand them really become, you know, obviously leading, leading driving factors. But we basically have like two different narratives 
at this point kind of running parallel, which is interesting. And one is like just bite sized like tweets, basically, from like some guy's diary. And the other one is like this full fledged story that we're getting all these emotions and perspectives on. And I, I totally agree with you. I, I absolutely love this. I think that that is it is brilliant. And like you said, kind of that this flash forward device is is excellent. But I will also say that this is fairly unique. I cannot think of a story immediately that uses a narrative device quite like this, quite so effectively, so consistently. Like this is every chapter so far, you know, like right. it's consistent, it seems. so, Which is awesome. And yeah. like I said, satisfying. Look at me. I just finished the fucking drink. Jesus We're on Christ. the first question. <laughs> um, what Did you have any thoughts specifically about the Hero of Ages, what it could be, you know, kind of components directly to the story, less the meta narrative, more the immediate narrative? Um, well, it, it's, it is a grand title. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really give away anything beyond that. Like, it is a, a very encompassing, like, the Hero of Ages is... Basically, to me, that means it is the hero that kind of transcends immediacy. Like, this is what we've been waiting for. And we get a lot of prophecy stuff later in these journal entries. Like, this is the prophecy says this is what I am. But it is it is something transcendental in that sort of respect. So I don't know. I just know it's big. It mm-hmm. It's important. And it doesn't really give you anything beyond that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so interesting and fascinating. I, I totally agree with you. Love it, love it. So we cut from the prophecy to ash falling from the sky. It's treated so normally by the first character that we're introduced to here, Lord Trusting, that it comes off rather simply and sets this kind of like larger than life scene that we see from the perspective of one of these Lord noblemen. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Lord Trusting and kind of the way that this this is used as our first? setting of the world well as as far as setting goes with the ash falling from the sky we do get a little bit of explanation and a little bit of exposition in that sense that this isn't uncommon and is more of just kind of an annoyance god would that suck huh mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. fuck um but if you have to deal with it every day i guess you technologies and kind of the way you go about your life is based around it so like people in the pacific northwest dealing with rain every fucking day um it sucks and nobody should have to do that but they do and apparently they are fine with it um but lord tristing is pretty calloused and just kind of a piece of shit he doesn't seem (laughs) that important and we get we get more information. He's kind of bordering on countryside, not not necessarily rural, but like not not city folk to a certain right, extent. Right. Um, he's trying to earn his way to be a city folk. Yeah, yeah. But he's so, uh, and this is just basically the stand-in, as far as I can tell, for the um, the typical way that nobles think about the sky in general, and like. No, they're they're pieces of shit property to be beaten at will and a means to an end for production and they don't care. So I think Lord Tresting in general is is more of less of a villain and less of a 
a character to be pondered very closely and more of just kind of the introduction to the noble class in general and fuck those guys. Yeah, I so. mean it's it's definitely correct as we learn later that literally Kelsier murders him uh and we'll we'll talk about that later. But um <clears throat> it it's very interesting. We get a ton of terminology thrown at us right off the bat here, right? We get Ska, we get Obligators, we get Luthadel, the the capital city, we get the Lord Ruler, Mistborns, Mistings, Ashmounts, this red sun as well as kind of the the Gen- the ska is like general fear of the mist itself there's so much world building in so little time and it's it is densely packed critically delivered um one little piece nugget of information here too to, to kind of go into what you were saying is these ska are on loan from the lord ruler themselves so th- there's also that aspect of like they they are property but they're on loan from the lord ruler mm-hmm. you know like, yeah. So they're not necessarily the Lord, like Lord Trusting's property. They're the Lord Ruler's property. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, okay. So if you lease a car, right? would you consider right. it your property for the sake of like theft and stuff like that? I don't, it's not, it's not considered. So here, here's the thing. Theft, you're responsible for it. I think um, in the end, any, any costs and things like that, but I don't think you can list it on like credit applications for things as an asset that you own. Okay. If it's leased, it's not an asset. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking for Ska as cars, apparently. Well, I mean, reasonable, (laughs) reasonable thing, though, to like try to distinguish property lines and and things like that that exist. So I don't. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't do that with people, but, you know, they do. So we have to agreed. Agreed. We're trying to. We are starkly anti-slavery here on this podcast. Uh, We're going to take that hot take and and be on the side of the people. We are this flaming against slavery. Yeah. So one one thing I do want to point out here, and we we've talked about not bringing up Red Rising much because we don't want to spoil anything if anybody hasn't read that yet. But I will say, just from a like the way that we tackle this and this episode in general, and me like reading through it, Brandon Sanderson is an accomplished writer by the time he writes this, correct? Um, he's already published one book. Just this one. This is his second novel. Okay. It feels so much eight. more... He's written eight at this point. Okay. Okay. Well, in that respect, like I can tell there is more polish here than there is at the beginning of Red Rising. Yeah. And like yeah. you, you can tell that this is a much more experienced novelist. Um, and with that in mind... I feel like this was super well done, and I feel like I'm going to be saying that a lot throughout this, because it is perfectly balanced between not telling us, like, not being too heavy-handed, like, telling us enough for what we need to know in order to, like, understand what's going on in the world. It's a bit blunt at times when discussing things, but it kind of has to be because they're new terms and they're terms that only exist within this universe and without explanation like um we we won't we couldn't understand what was happening a lot is left to subtext or future reveal and it, it's it just builds this satisfaction of uncovering what is meant in these like beginning sentences of this book and uh, it just with that created this wonderful immersion 
into this world in like it's like walking into a hot tub just really clean and smooth <laughs> and just sinking into it in such a clean way um i don't i, I don't know the best way to describe that yeah. but and that's your thoughts on the world building in general yeah 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 any any terms that you like or have questions about or anything like that i won't answer beyond what we know but you know like anything that's perking your interest right now ska in general where that term came from and why why it's a different term than just peasants which he refers to them as peasants when like the first time ska is used it Mm -hmm. refers to it as the peasant class or whatever whatever the exact term that they use to describe it is and I'm, i'm curious why either slaves or peasants aren't used in place if there's a reason for that or if it's just to distinguish this work from from others any um, others that's that's a great one I, I love that that's a great question to have at this point uh as far as terms go i don't think so i think that's the main one like i'm, I'm sure the red sun it seems like so the red sun seems to be kind of in conjunction with the fact that ash falls down constantly like just ash being in the atmosphere creates a sort of a smog, which will naturally create more diffusion of sunlight. So the sun probably looks more red, but it could also just be a different type of star that is mm-hmm. more red focused. Like the, the light and the, the photons that it's giving off are more in the red spectrum. That's so that that's interesting. There, there's a whole lot of just, um, was it Obligator or what, what? Which was the character that he, that Lord Tristan? I believe Tristan is talking to, to an Obligator. Yes, Obligator. Yep. So that yep. is something that we meet three different Obligators over the course. We of do, but we don't know anything about what they actually do. As far as they like why they're called the Obligators, right? Yep. Like wh- where that term came from. So that's an interesting one. Lord Ruler, he's or she, it, they is referred to almost as a god and explicitly as a god at one point immortal and imbued allomancy like abilities onto the initial followers so like that's fucking crazy but terminology wise i feel like that's most of it cool all right just wanted to check you know make sure there's any clarity that can be had on the front end want to make sure that you know brandon sanderson does a wonderful job delivering all of this so it's not necessary that i would go through and do that i think it's one of his best talents is is being being a clarifying force inside of his own story which is great and and important in a new world like this so Mm -hmm. um we of course leave trusting's perspective as he's discussing with the alligator uh, the alligator obligator (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) The obligator, he's having this conversation with the obligator. He leaves that conversation kind of satisfied and, and going to potentially go sleep with a ska woman of whom will later have to be killed, of which we're also informed from the obligator to Kelsier's perspective. Yeah, the the, sur- the so-called survivor of Hath Sin. What do you think of Kelsier? Well, he's clearly got a pretty strong personality. He's charismatic, ah, charismatic, intelligent, calculated, a little bit brash at times. Just he is a a presence in the room. Like he's smiling when nobody fucking smiles. Like he he is there, and everybody knows it. And throughout, like 
he he's also caring he he is kind of a force of chaos but he's caring all of that combined make me constantly just wish to be in his head wish to follow him around no matter what and i know like there there's a whole lot to be gained by being in other perspectives but i i don't want to (laughs) anytime (laughs) it ends uh because i just want more of him but that's not to say that any of the other perspectives and i i do want to discuss perspectives in in a second but um if we're sticking with that sort of term i they're all great and they're all unique and fun but um but his seem his seems so so much fun that i just want more of it anyway as far as perspective goes i I appreciate how the perspective change and I really appreciate how fluidly they change, especially in the audiobook. Um, I know there, there's quite a bit of a break within the text. So you know that they're switching perspectives, but in the audiobook, it like, you almost don't need that break. It just fluidly transfers to the new character without any sort of jarring effect in like understanding what's going on. And that's super, super cool. Yeah, to, but, to that point, real quick, yeah. just Michael Kramer does a fantastic job of like giving a little bit of whatever the accent is of the perspective that you're in, so that you kind of get a get an idea. But yeah, mm-hmm. but I I'm trying to figure out and articulate a better term than perspective because it feels more omniscient than that, and l- l- like we're not in their heads. We are, we are, we do know what they're thinking and feeling, and, but but we also get more information than the character does like at certain points. So I know like, I know there are a lot of different perspectives that can like points of view that can be written from, but I, I don't quite know the nuance of what is considered a perspective and what is not like, is there, is there a delineation between point of view and perspective and how that all works? Do you have any kind of clarity for that yeah to to like lend some clarity i think here i think about this this story is a third person limited perspective however unlike a lot of other narratives it does change so we actually do get a sense of dramatic irony um a lot of the time people will call like third person limited like just inside of one head however that makes it difficult to describe when you might flip perspectives with enough of a break within a different scene to a different character. So it still feels like it's limited third person and not omniscient. Omniscient would give us, or, or maybe we're limited omniscient. Like there's, there's also that potential, but generally a, an omniscient perspective would be one that would present both sides and kind of react to them on the outset. And maybe their, their inner thoughts without head flipping between the two, uh, which is a big, big problem when you're thinking about writing a limited or an omniscient perspective. So uh, this to me feels like I would most closely describe it as third person limited with multiple point of views. Um, We've got a point of view inside of the journal. We've got a point of view inside of Kelsier. We've got a point of view inside of trusting. We've got a point of view inside of Vin so far. Not to say that there couldn't be more or less, but those are kind of the, the things. It's not as strict of a point of view break as a number of other novels are. So, uh, but it does feel like it's point of view limited. Okay. Because we don't, right now we still don't know everything about allomancy right in omniscient perspective 
an omniscient perspective wouldn't hide details like that necessarily. Um, it could, okay. but when they're presented, it wouldn't, if that makes sense. When, when something, if something were to happen on screen, it would describe it as though it knew exactly what was happening. So that's, that's that maybe my best super example. Limiting as far as how to actually write a story then. Omniscient. Yeah. Like fully yeah, it's omniscient. Very difficult. Okay. It, it is, I, it is not uncommon though, because it's great for, um, like traditional, uh, like reality. Narr- I, this sounds so strange, but to say like a traditional human story to some degree, like to kill a mockingbird, um, would, would be, I, that's not a, that's not an omniscient story, but something that's more grounded in reality where you don't need to explain so much because there's some assumed knowledge. Uh, do you have a better just off the top of your head? Do you have an example of an omniscient story that we could, that I could like um, look at? Or maybe have have read in like high school or something like that. So a a good, I mean, most Ernest Hemingway, not all, but most Ernest Hemingway is omniscient. Um, So I've, I've got an example here written by someone on medium. They did a great job explaining the difference, right? So a third person limited perspective would read like this. What are you doing? He knew he shouldn't have asked. She looked at him and he'd lost his mind. Anger vibrated in her bones. What do you think I'm doing? She hated the way he act like she was doing something wrong all the damn time. She wanted to lash out, kick him in the balls, something to wipe that look off of his face. I think you're doing something stupid again. So the attribution is carried from the primary character's perspective. We can understand that she's saying one thing versus the other character because we don't really get internal monologue from the other. We don't get any internal monologue from the other character. The same scene from an omniscient, omniscient perspective would be, what are you doing? He must have lost his mind. Anger vibrated in her bones. What do you think I'm doing? They both tightened their fists at their side, each of them holding back from lashing out physically. She wanted to kick him in the balls. He wanted to put her over his knee. I think you're going to do something stupid again. Okay. Does that make sense? So you get you get the multiple things that you get the multiple perspectives at the same time. You get the, the varied pronouns, you get, you know, kind of the the amalgamation of thoughts within even the same paragraph, which is a big deal. Gotcha. That makes sense. It commonly referred to as like head flipping to some degree, but there's, mm-hmm. there's a long winded explanation. These are, I, I think it's the best way that I would describe it is limited point of view, third person. If you guys have feedback listeners, uh, let us know, but that seems to be the most reasonable explanation that I can find. Cool. Cool. Um, what do you, where, where are we think? at? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the conversation with Scott Tepper and menace the general demeanor of the populace on Trusting's land? It's fucking depressing, man. Yeah. Like the, the Scott lives such dreary lives, which uh, obviously create dreary people. They going, I guess, forward a little bit, they kind of seem to lack any sort of optimism in their lives in general mm-hmm. and don't do anything fun. Even after work, like within their homes, they do, they, they just sit around and eat bland soup and go to bed. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, that is to say, I guess that the world isn't fully devoid of hope for these people. Like th- there are clearly regularly, maybe not commonly, but th- there are travelers that come through and give sort of tales of what's going on elsewhere, uh, which we learn is why they, they let people in in general um 
Kelsey are specifically. God, they like their lives suck. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, obviously they're slaves. So yeah, the, the, I would imagine they probably do suck and nobody should really expect otherwise. But man, there's like no, there's no cultural immersion, like not immersion, no, like no spark of internal culture, even at home. Identity. Yeah. They're, they're very lacking of identity. Yeah. That's, that's the best way to put it. I think. Yeah. Um, Culture identity. I, I think it goes hand in hand, but as far as, um, I don't remember where I was going. Yeah. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> Sure. Sure. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely something very, very interesting here going on with the ska, right? And, and sort of the the demeanor of the populace. And it does suck. We, we also know that this is referred to as the final empire, uh, which is also has this like tinge of of dourness to it of of like the revolution has already came and passed in some degree or like this is the final manifestation of, you know, something uh, and, and that's really interesting. So it doesn't uh, necessarily have to invoke that thought, though, like this. The but whole it implies it. Well, what about what about Star Trek? The final frontier space. Yeah. Thinking like that, about constrained within the narrative, right? Yeah. Constrained yeah. within the narrative. What people understand is this to be the, the final. I agree with you. I understand. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the. <laughs> The theme and the the feeling that comes along with this story entirely and from the outset is one of um, dreary, dreariness. So dreary, dour, ash, black skies, red sun, you know, very, very interesting kind of visuals here. Literally ash falling from the sky (laughs) on a regular basis. It doesn't get more suckish than that. Mm hmm. Of course, we've talked to, I, I've mentioned at the very least, Kelsier. Kelsier then burns Tin as he's having this discussion with uh, Tepper and Menace, and his senses leap out of him, becoming these extrasensory things and adding depth and understanding to the picture in his mind as, as he does. Just this like increasing brightness and all these other things. And it's our first official introduction to Alamancy, this world's unique magic system. What do you think? of uh of alamancy and uh this this little scene here dude i fucking loved it like this is this is a physical representation of magical ability like it's a source that can be tapped into and interacted with and reviewed to a certain extent it's like as far as i can tell and as far as i understand it's basically the the mana of this world is the sort of it's abstract and it's within within their minds kind of reaching out and touching and feeling this this source it's not fine or like it's not infinite It it is a finite source and they can tell how much is left in it and it just roots it in in physicality and i i can't get over how much i like the way that that's described isn't it so fucking cool like it is so cool um yeah no no doubt no doubt i i love the way that this is this is depicted like you said that physical reservoir i think is such an interesting thing for a magic system to really ground itself we had a little Mm -hmm. bit of a discussion 
uh, in our episode zero about hard and soft magic systems. Now do you kind of get the understanding of like a hard magic system is like very grounded and explained? Yeah. 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 Cause yeah, this is sure. like you, you get a read on like a number or like a thing that could be done versus um, soft magic systems like Lord of the Rings. It's like, well, Gandalf, we know what Gandalf can do in general, but we don't know how he does it. Like, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've no concept of where it comes from really um, or how it's measured. And this is like measurable in an interesting way. Mm hmm. So yeah. want to bring that up now that we've actually experienced it to, to talk about it a little bit. So there, of course, is also a comment here about how the noblemen killed the Ska after they sleep with them because the Lord Ruler doesn't want half-breeds with potential powers rolling around. It's a small thing we talked about a little bit earlier, but any any thoughts that you wanted to add? Um, so it's – I didn't feel like it was out of place, and it felt kind of par for the course for what we already understood about the noble class – but we get more information later about why and the mm-hmm. the existence of the mistings and that half breeds and and all that kind of that situation um <laughs> and the lord ruler and how all that all connects but it's it's a great a great stepping stone in the world building sort of um staircase that we're we're building throughout this entire first section of the book yeah yeah it's um it's fantastic it's as though there's just so much to exposit about this world that it just keeps kind of like rolling out and you're like oh give me more oh keep drip it's it's like a drip feed right like (laughs) you've got a little iv bag attached to your arm and you're like get get slapping your arm trying to like come on come on give me a little bit more um and it's uh yeah it's totally like that Mm -hmm. uh yeah, I I definitely definitely love this kind of feeling and kind of the slow drip of this information is uh it's so good. It's so good. So we cut from there, Menace's perspective to that of the smoking ruins. We cut from excuse me, we cut from Kelsier's perspective to that of Menace's as Kelsier had left the night before after hearing uh some of the screams of Jess of whom was taken by the Lord Ruler or not the Lord Ruler, Lord Trusting to uh to be assaulted sexually assaulted straight up we do say on the front of this this is a adult podcast there are a lot of adult things that happen inside of this novel this is not it's not clean by any means i mean even in this first section here we can tell that this is a semi-violent uh pushes a lot of boundaries i think in a lot of ways but also opens up some really good discussions around these kind of things so uh she is to be taken uh sexually assaulted and Jess returns in the middle of the night from Lord's from Lord Tresting's mansion, pounding on the door, her family swearing that they've proven that she isn't a mistwraith. Menace, of course, wakes up and looks and finds the smoldering ruins of Lord Tresting's mansion. And after listening to Jess's firsthand recount of Kelsier killing everyone inside before burning the place down, it's it's just so fascinating. They decide that they're going to head east to where they know the Ska Rebellion is. What do you think? Mm-hmm. There's so, a lot that I just there's threw a, out there's there, a but, lot there. Yeah. As far as their decision to head east, that's kind of out of necessity, right? Like, yeah, yeah. They're and it, it's mentioned. Yeah, they're forced into this rebellion, and it, as far as I can tell, many of them didn't want to be a part of it. They mm-hmm. probably weren't happy to be enslaved and working in this fucking awful field but at least they're not being hunted Mm. and they have 
homes to sleep in that protect them from this mysterious mist that uh that they're all terrified of um it, it's they're very cautious people in general and superstitious and i i think it's important to note that they are only going to join the ska rebellion in the east because it's their only option of like survival so any at that they don't necessarily believe that they're going to survive the journey there because of the mist because they're going to have to sleep out in the open i felt like that was a cool conflict of decision making that that made this feel a lot more deep so mm-hmm. i love that you felt that way um and i don't want to i don't want to down i there's no part of me that is going to downplay that um what do you think about the burning ruins though uh, of the so there's the indecision or the the lack of choice in the part of menace and, and the ska that are there the smoking ruins though imply like a lot of things on the part of Kelsier. um what do you make of that so i mean i imagined a fairly large like building yeah i didn't expect it to just be fucking gone overnight <laughs> like it, uh-huh Without anybody noticing and waking up to it, you know, like, so something happened to really accelerate the the rate at which this burned and was just turned to rubble or I'm like not quite grasping the scale or uh, layout of this area. Either way, um, fucking awesome. <laughs> Fuck that guy. I'm glad he's dead. Yeah, I mean, Lord Trusting definitely deserved it, right? Like, there's no no doubt in my mind that the deser- dude deserved to die. Uh, but it is it is something else to see this being the revelation of power as we understand it. We get we get like a little we get more drippings again that IV bag of uh, of mythology and information world building here over the course of the story. But we're still curious about like how exactly that could have gone down. Of course. Um, Always which curious. makes this a fantastic prologue. I'm so picky about prologues, and this is one of the best, I think. Mm. Straight up. So, Absolutely. So from here, we are going to move into part one, the survivor of Hatsin, to talk about these chapters. So before we get into chapter one, I did make a decision. Um, maybe, maybe a good one, maybe a bad one. I'm not sure entirely. But... Um, I finished my cocktail early and we're taking a long time going through the prologue. So I, <laughs> I figured we'll be here for a little bit. So I opened up a 2021 Goose Island Bourbon County brand classic cola stout. So this is a, a version, um, a variation on their Bourbon County stout. And it sounds a lot weirder than it tastes. So it is a, uh, a stout aged in bourbon barrels with brown sugar, citrus, coriander, spices, and vanilla. So. All right. Calling it cola may be a little bit of a stretch, but it's really fucking good. So I've got that that I'm going to be sipping on for the rest of the episode. So had cool. to had to interject that in there. Yeah, we did. We did take a big bit of time on the uh, the intro section here, but there's just so much world building and so much great stuff to talk about right off the bat that we can't mm-hmm. we can't skip it. So right. I feel you. All right. So with that, let's go into our official start of the series. Chapter one. 
as it's called. I mean, prologues are technically like generally world building, whatever. This is our, our start of the narrative, so to speak. Right. So chapter one, we've got our second prophecy here that we get in this book. And I, I think it's a really interesting one. One speaking of armies and tyrants and effectively making the life of our narrator one of severe consequence. This has the moral philosophizing of like a journal similar to meditations, uh, but also like an explanation of actions in some way. How did you think about this? So to me, it it felt like a diary or a journal or something to that effect. Is there any point in this, like in any of these five that we've read so far or four, how many prologue, like before five, prologue, read one, two, yep. three, and then before four. Um, is there anything that reveals the gender of the person writing? I don't believe so. I don't think there's anything that does. Yeah. So I have two theories. All right. This is and almost a prediction. It is. It is almost but, a prediction, but it's probably going to be a fairly overarching one. I'm guessing it is written by either Kelsier or Vin. I'm, I'm inclined at this point to believe that it's Kelsier, but I feel like that's intentional and I'm going to guess that it's Vin. Okay. All right. It it truly though the biggest thing that it does for me is sets up the expe- expectation that this story is going to be explosively immense and just really get into crazy crazy things. Like we're we're dealing with characters that are like fighting or almost squabbling with like low level nobles. And jumping forward to the time when they're leading armies, like it's a jump, but I'm super here for the entire progression. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, cool. I love that. I love that. I love again, we've talked about kind of the importance of these prophecies and we're going to continually kind of reiterate them. It's it is it will forever be difficult for me to talk about these because you know are you right are you wrong i can't i can't reiterate that and that's kind of my goal my part in the story here but i do think that this does lend an immensity it does lend a gravity to what this story is you know right in in all kinds of ways you know and it it, it could be anything that's what's so fun right now we're we're at the beginning it could be anything um so there's this kind of like childhood giddiness to this this story that I, I right. adore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm too. thinking about it. I'm noticing that just wafting off of you. So I, uh, <laughs> I have to mention it. So we are also, of course, introduced to Vin, a young ska girl watching the ash fall over our setting, the dark city of Luthadel. She's a part of a thieving crew, an enterprising group of ska upstarts who are stealing from the rich and works under the crew leader, Cayman. She's delivered with some baggage of her own, of course. She's got a rich history, but she's she's got the voice of Reen in her head, her brother, reminding her of her abusive past, and she acts fairly skittish to others because of how she's been treated over the years. What do you think of our new new protagonist here? Protagonist so my, might be aggressive, but she feels like a protagonist at the end. She does. Yeah. That's absolutely how I thought of her. This so perfectly encapsula- encapsulates the uh, sort of humble beginnings trope of fantasy adventure stories and like basically any D&D campaign that's ever existed. 
Like <laughs> it, it's, it's so well done and satisfying to, to see that begin so cleanly. Like we're, we're obviously jumping in past her trauma to a certain extent, maybe in the midst of it a little bit, but very, very humble and small mm-hmm. and uh, timid. So with that respect and that sort of outlook on things, it's exciting trying to get into that sort of mindset initially. It's frustrating and it's horrible that she had to deal with all of this growing up. So um, cool to see that she's making a place for herself despite all of those hardships. Yeah. I mean, it is narratively fantastic and a great way to get us to kind of like latch into a character very early on by giving them this kind of sense of trauma. Um, there's a, I have talked about this previously in the podcast a couple of times, but one of my favorite books on writing that exists is consider this by Chuck Palahniuk. And he talks at length about the idea of giving your main character trauma. And he tends towards the dead parent trauma because naturally one one way or another people have experience there orphan trauma fits abuse trauma fits and um just as long as it provides for the narrative and and lends to the character flaws that you're trying to give a character uh because in some way shape or form loss is relatable pain is relatable and so yeah. that's why we we see starts of the story like this but there's there's a lot to unpack here which i think is great like we don't get a full sense of what's going on with vin yet um that's interesting for sure this yeah. lends to that limited POV that we were talking about earlier. For sure. If we were omniscient, we might even know what's gone wrong, but we are not. So <laughs> <laughs> we, okay. we move on, of course, from, from Vin uh, to Cayman as we're introduced to him. And he is an absolute piece of shit, abusive man to a person he believes he owns because of a debt that her brother, Reen, again, settled Vin with. But she does something curious when he goes back to hit her a second time. She uses up a bit of her luck, as she says, and his hand lowers. This is really curious, and and we see it used a little bit more in later scenes with the obligators. But what did you think about this curious power the first time that it was introduced? So, I guess we uh, we talked about it a little bit. I'm I really appreciated the physicality. And initially she entirely, whenever she's talking about using luck, she talks about reaching out Mm -hmm. to apply it to somebody essentially. And at least on my first read through of it, it felt or, or my understanding of it was that she had to physically reach out and touch them. In order, like she had to physically touch the person that she was applying it to. And it, it makes more sense that that's not the case. And it is entirely how she feels about using it that she is internally grabbing this resource and reaching out and, and touching somebody with it, um, touching their, I don't know, their aura, their sense, their spirit. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but they're, she's applying it to somebody. Um, and I guess my point is I am most impressed with how great it feels to have this physicality to this resource. Um, 
and the way she she is so rationing with it and understands how little she has of it and that grow that that we learn why later but it's it's fun to that extent but um as far as Cayman actually is <laughs> actually is absolute piece of shit fuck that yeah. guy um i almost felt like he was because of how it goes forward with this story and he's like playing the role of this noble and he's taking direction from vin regularly and like she's making suggestions and he's playing like he he's accepting those suggestions and and rolling with them like how the proposed slaves are or the their servants are too well dressed for this character that he's trying to play mm-hmm. it felt to me initially that he was basically method acting and trying to get into that character and be this piece of shit noble but that's not the case at all he's just actually a fuckhead and i hate him <laughs> yeah so that that's an interesting interesting perspective that he was trying to method act and that, that kind of makes sense especially in the way that like vin is able to then address and say like you should have more like underlings around more ska less like well-dressed people and other things like that because you're supposed to be displaying a poor house it also kind of intuits a little bit of her understanding of the world which i think is interesting on top of that like it, right it gives it an interesting depth and complexity there yeah absolutely yeah. Even even on a second read through, third, fourth, whatever I've I've read it once and I've listened to it like two or three times. Yeah. Uh which is generally how I do this. For those of you have who haven't kind of experienced this before. We have to read this shit a lot in order to really like be able to talk about it in depth, which gives kind of a unique perspective in in its own right, but at the same time is a, a lot of time and sometimes it's enough time that I can kind of forget what my initial like first read reaction was. Um, but even subsequent readings, it felt less like that's his actual demeanor and more like he is trying to be like get his head in the game to a certain extent. That's not to say I think he's deep down a good person, but. He he is much more verbally violent and commanding at the beginning, and later on when he's when he learns that Vin is planning on leaving, he's much more physically and aggressively violent in that respect. So yeah, th- yeah. there's still that sort of shift in personality between when he's preparing to be a nobleman and when he's like r- kind of celebrating the the end of the heist. It's it's a muted version of who he really is that we get right here, uh, likely because he can't actually damage Vin beyond, yeah. you know, beyond as we come to understand their relationship, like he can't continue to kind of go through that. So he obviously makes the choice and, and there is it sucks. This is shitty. So yeah. that's that's about all that I had to say about it for the most part. It sucks. It's shitty. Came in fucking blows. Um, and he's a piece of shit but it also portrays like the kind of stuff that vin has to put up with in order to avoid either enslavement 
or I, I mean worse to some degree and that sucks yeah. as well instead of the final empire so mm-hmm. it um it's a difficult spot to be in so the heist sure. of course is one that we've kind of talked about a little bit here is is that of Cayman playing the part of a nobleman lord jadu in order to trick an obligator laird into giving this crew their contract and paying it up front what did you think of our little act of thievery here it was kind of impressive especially the way so Cayman isn't like he isn't a bumbling idiot. He knows what he's doing, and he's, as far as I can tell, a fairly accomplished thief, swindler to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But seeing how much is influenced by Vin and her luck is really cool, man. Like, I don't know, dude, I am so invested in this, like, magic system. I'm so excited about it. Like, I was geeking out over this the entire time. Holy shit. Because I don't know, I haven't I haven't read anything like this before and it for whatever reason this sort of tangible logical logical to a certain degree but like um logical in the sense that it is it follows its own rules and is is strictly written to have rules that are followed. I I appreciate and look for in this sort of, I would say medium, it's, I don't read that much, so it's not the medium, but in this sort of story. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm, I just felt, I'm, I felt like this was a great way to practically introduce us to the way that this is used. Yeah, definitely. And especially the way that it can also go like talent and skill like this can go completely unnoticed, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it lends a perspective, a novice, like someone who doesn't even know that they're a novice in something like right. Vin has no clue what she's actually doing. Um, and that's, that's fascinating. So mm-hmm. she mentions um, that. So we know that she's 16 years old and we also know that she didn't know until she was 10 that this wasn't common. Mm-hmm. Like she assumed everybody could do this until she was 10 years old. So she's only had six years of experience, which is, granted, pretty close to half of her life, at least half of the, the life that she can remember. I don't remember anything before I was a lifespan, three yeah, or four right. or four or five years old. So, right. Select memories from like younger than that. But yeah. Yeah. But like, it's not a long time for her to have honed these skills without any sort of training. So it's, it's cool. I totally agree. I think that that's, what's so interesting here is that she doesn't really know what she's doing. And we find out later, of course, that it's her power is derived from tin. That's naturally available in the water. Um, or not is tin, it tin? Excuse me. Do we it's know tin. it's tin? We do. We don't know that it's something we know that there is, we know there are, th- are metals in the water. Yeah. 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 Right. Cause we know it's, tin it's not tin. It's specifically the- not tin perspective that's the only one we know for sure the connection between the metal and the power to a certain correct yes um right which is why my brain said tin it's not tin um but we know that there is metal in the water and that's what kelsier cites is her ability to kind of burn and use these powers a lot later 
Um, our final scene, of course, of the chapter we talked about a little bit here is Vin burning up all of her luck to push Laird to bring Cayman's loss leading proposal back to the Canton of Finance, effectively a ministry, you know, any any sort of political institution uh, to have them reconsider the vote and, and take this kind of trade deal. Uh, mm-hmm. You kind of mentioned a lot of the stuff about luck. Any other thoughts, final thoughts in this chapter? So I, I guess the only thing that I haven't really mentioned explicitly i guess is how this how this is different than other magic systems in that a lot of magic systems rely on spells and certain spell like specifically let's think about D because mm-hmm. that's probably on both of our minds because we have one or more projects going on regarding it sure. um yeah there is a limited spell pool like a, a limited amount of spells that you can cast per day. And uh, like you can kind of think of that as a limited number or like a limited amount of magical essence that can be expended per day. And you can allocate like each spell takes up a specific amount. So you have to allocate it that way. This is so much more finite than that in that you can really choose how much of this resource to take to apply it to something. So the more you take, the more intense it is. And it, it really changes the, changes the way you think about magic to a certain extent. If you're tuned into that sort of thought process that RPGs, video games or tabletop RPGs or anything else have to rely on because of just the mechanics of the way that the content is consumed in gameplay, you know? I love that you're bringing this up because this is actually one of the very frequent reviews of this first book in some degree is that there there are moments of this that feel like they're a video game or like a tabletop game like you're saying because the limits are so strict that it feels like our characters are behaving in ways in which they have to react to a mathematical equation to some degree, uh, which I, I think is great. I think it feels a very realistic feeling world. Um but that is actually one of like the common reviews of this entire thing is it, it has this feeling of like video game-ness over the top of it. Not strictly, not entirely, but I think you hit the nail on the head as to why it kind of has that gameplay-like feeling. Yeah, and but I, I'd also argue that it goes more in depth than that and distinguishes itself from it based on the fact that this isn't a mechanic that you could program into a game easily you could i'm sure you could people are trying actively <laughs> yeah for the record i'm like i'm i'm positive because i'm what 60 pages into this fucking thing and i'm hooked like of course there are people that are obsessed with this and are trying to like convert it into a video game absolutely and i will 100 percent play it if one exists or yeah. if it doesn't whenever it does but intuitively it seems so granular that it would be so difficult to actually do in that respect i don't know man i'm just <laughs> you're just i'm just loving excited the shit out of this yeah i'm just happy mm-hmm. isn't it i mean the dourness of the last book that we read to this is like even though this is dour is so intriguing and insightful and you feel like you're ready to bite off something a chunk of something new so yeah Mm -hmm. 
I, uh, I'm, I'm very, I'm very here for it. I think it's nice to be in kind of a limited series, like a trilogy that we know, we know kind of the end of, we, we've got like a, a finish line in sight to some degree. And that's, that's also new and fun. So with that, we move into chapter two. Our third little journey entry of this week is one that mentions the Terrace prophecies and how our mysterious author will have the power to save the world according to them, or perhaps to destroy it. Oh, dude. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Grand, grandiose, just big, expanding world that we are being drawn into. It, it, it's these sort of interspersings of journal entries before every chapter just creates this satisfaction in expansion and just being ripped out of that. Like, I guess not ripped out of it, but um, you ju- just these snippets of mm-hmm. the future that don't actually tell you almost anything, but you just get to see how big things will get. And it, it is a promise epicness oh yeah <laughs> that's a great way of putting it like it's that's what it it's feels a like at least. to be kept yeah yeah and i am so fucking excited i i, I keep saying that and i keep bringing it up but like this this is the most excited i've been for any sort of like story that i've put myself through be it tv show or book or anything like th- this is the most gripping of anything that I've experienced before. Wow! All right, all right. I'm stoked. I'm stoked <laughs> for that reaction. Um, I'll tell you what. I I loved I loved the way that these chapters played out. I think I talked about this earlier, but I I love the idea. This like subtle hint of things, and it, like I said, it's like we're getting a whisper of the mythology right now, and and like the world, be it the future, be it the past, be it the present, whatever it is, we're getting a whisper of that reality and Mm -hmm. that is a driving force here in the beginning of the story for sure i love that i love that i love that you're in love with it it's it's so good did you expect me to be like this um you know here's the problem pj you've read so little that transitioning (laughs) from from science fiction to fantasy i was a little concerned um to some degree like a little bit uh i genuinely would have thought that i would have resonated more with science fiction but this feels yeah. more mathy. Like this this feels uh-huh. more this feels more like rooted in somehow this feels more rooted in reality than science fiction does somehow. And maybe the, like that is such an like, such a broad brush to paint like to paint this with, but um mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't I I I don't know how to describe it better than that. Yeah, man. And like, I know that you have a love for Tolkien. I know that you have a love for Lord of That's the Rings and, and, and things like that, too. So I, I know that you really enjoy fantasy. But the transition from us reading two different uh, two standalone science fiction novels taking place on Earth to a future Earth series to this fantasy series that has fuck all to do with anything else is 
I, I it was a concern for a hot second. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like well, part of the problem with starting this project is it's like okay, if Fiji doesn't like it, we've six months of like trying to make this entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, uh, I mean, it's a real it's a real concern. Which I'm I'm happy that you're reacting positively, and I'm sure all of our listeners are too. But it was mm-hmm. um it was a genuine thing that I was I thought about for a long time. As I was going through it, 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 more than any of the other things that we've mentioned so far this episode, that's what I'm most nervous about, right, with all of these. And because I also can't, like, answer your questions if it causes, like, serious anxiety or, like, you have a plot problem or stuff like that. Like, I can't I can't be like, no, just keep – I can't, like, literally say, no, just keep going because we're going to keep going naturally. But I need to, like, kind of ease it in other ways. It's, it's so interesting. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're in a unique predicament, I think. But, but I also know that – that's the situation we're in. So I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to seek out answers from you and like ask you questions because I know that things will either be revealed later or I'll be disappointed. And it's one of the two. If if it were strictly bad, we also wouldn't be reading it. Like regardless, like if, if I read it and I'm like, even if it was the most voted thing, if it were strictly bad, I'd be like, no, we're not fucking doing that. That's that's a waste (laughs) of everyone's time. That's a good Um, point. So regardless of everyone's feelings at home, thank you for voting. Thank you for putting your input in. Uh, but also like if you give me bad opinions on on things, (laughs) like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take it seriously. (laughs) So this is, this is like pseudo democracy. At the very least, your vote, your vote is very serious, very real. I read the entire book series because of people's votes. I liked it quite a bit, which is why we're talking about it. But if it sucked, this is real life Tropico. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) If, if I were reading, uh, ice planet barbarians, uh, whatever the fuck, it's a sex novel. I I would not. It's um, a sex novel. All right. It literally is. It's like a 60, 80 page, uh, crazy ass. It's fucking wild. If people recommended that we would not read that on the show after I read it, probably outside of for maybe a meme, but that would be it. This cannot be a six month. We could do that as a single episode. I'm not. I'm not going to commit to a six month meme (laughs) as it stands. But you're right. We could do that as a single episode. Um, I think it's just called the Ice Planet Barbarians, if I remember correctly. But regardless, yeah. Sorry, we got off track of chapter two. So we we've talked a lot about like the total world building here that happens inside of this. Um, But the meat of the chapter starts with how. fucking cool luthadel is it's this vast city with grand spire spires spiraling up from these squat three-story buildings it gives this like very european gothic architecture vibe in my head everything is blackened with ash we've got different sit we've got like uh different citadels that are stationed around it that are owned by the noblemen It, it it leaves this interesting portrait of this ash being stained across the parapets of all these different buildings and walls by the rain and it's it's just so fascinating there's also the critic shah the the hill of a thousand pillars the palace of the lord ruler that's all the same thing by the way i just said it like it was three separate things it's all the same thing uh but just like fucking wow what a visual picture we get also i feel like it is fucking worthless and it's so upsetting to me physically that the scar like brushing away the ash <laughs> so it just like keeps falling <laughs> and it's like fuck yeah. um what a what a shitty job to have but what do you think of the the visual of uh of luthadel 
so that's that's one thing that I am very bad at. And okay. I so so let me kind of get into this um in regards to Red Rising or anything that I've read prior to that. I know when I want to see something like adapted to screen or illustrated or something like that, but I'm so bad at actually visualizing things in my own head. Mhm. Right. And that like we've talked about that before. We have sure. we have talked about that before, but that's I think I don't think it's an actual reason, but I, I think it's something that it's has kept me. Hmm? I think it's a lack of experience. Like Maybe you, you've only had but so many. You know, that's true, I know. but I I also just don't when when I think of things, I don't visualize them in that sort of way. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't I think of it in words more than in any sort of visualization. That's so um, interesting because my brain and you're an engineer, right? My brain goes to like CAD software. Like how would I build this? And I'm like thinking about like how the circumference of like circles and the spirals spiral out of and how it like cones up to the top. And I think about all these like different things. When you say like a hill of spires, I'm like, there's so much that could be there. Yeah. Um, so like yeah. I've done I've actually done a lot of research into this. Um like and there there are condition like i I don't i hesitate to call it conditions but for the sake of this conditions where people cannot visualize things in their brain and that that is a certain percentage of the population where that is entirely true and i feel like i'm close to that i can still like i can imagine things i can see i can visually create things in my mind but it's so rare and so limited and like it takes a lot of just dedicated actual like processing power to actually do that. Cause I mostly just think in, in terms of words and numbers and stuff. So I, I would love to see this city illustrated. And I think I told you that. And I think you put a picture in our discord. Is that correct? I did. And I've also okay. saved the link. So that particular picture um, from Rick okay. HD will be inside of our show notes. So okay. you can I'm see, gonna go, the, I'm going to go picture. look at it right now. Yeah. There, there are a couple of other photos that I, I wanted to choose instead, but they included a very minor spoiler that is in the front of the, the, the spoiler itself is on the front of the hardback of the first edition. So it's not, it's not a crazy spoiler, but it's something that you haven't seen yet. And so I'm excited to see your reaction to how it's described. So I didn't want to break that immersion. So instead I chose this one, as the sort of just the city of Luthadel, the keeps surrounding the uh, Hill of a Thousand Spires, Critic Shaw. This and, is yeah, dope, man. It's fucking insane. This I is love fucking this awesome. Um, the, the other thing that I want to say talking about this photo, uh, talking in general, I have this internal thing that I've thought about a lot. People named Shaw are generally villains. Things yeah, named I, after I was gonna, Shaws I was gonna say, are generally villains. This is so, K Shaw. This is, is literally K Shaw. <laughs> which is <laughs> like you. literally my like me. <laughs> but it, it's just so interesting. Um yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. I'm satisfied. Now we can we can kind of skip past that part. But cool. yeah. I, like, I just wanna like, oh my god, the visuals. Yeah. I mean, this was bound to be a long episode as is. So, folks, generally we aren't quite this long, but strap in. <laughs> strap in. Let's strap get in going. Sure. 
So, uh, <laughs> great, great conversation. From Kelsier's perspective in this chapter, we learn a couple of critical details about how the great houses of Luthadel and in turn the noblemen inside them come to reside in their grand keeps. Namely, those noblemen inside of Luthadel rely on their economic supremacy. There are other noblemen, of course, throughout the city, throughout the regions, as we've learned about the north, but they're really defined by their lineage as previous supporters of the Lord Ruler at some point or another. This is interesting, considering so far the book has defined the line between noblemen and ska as one of kind of semi-racial? Um, it's not It's not fully explained, of course, at this point, but it also feels like it's defined in some ways by economic stature and this, like, bloodline history thing. Did you have thoughts here? So, I didn't... I didn't pick up on anything racial, and maybe that's just me missing it. Uh, but I, I didn't pick up on anything racial as far as the delineation when between. I, when I say racial, I'm I'm thinking like elves, dwarves, if that makes sense. Oh, I I didn't pick up on anything other than sure, and, and that's existing. great. That's totally okay. I just um, want to make sure that racial was clear there. I'm thinking elves, dwarves, not like no different I colors mean, that, of skin. That's fine either way. Um, Regardless, in both respects, I didn't pick up on that right. at all. Um, I had assumed the entire time that it had entirely been based on bloodline. To a certain extent, that's correct. Like It is the descendants of the initial supporters of the Lord Ruler mm-hmm. that are at least have the ability to, to become the noble class. We don't really know if there's anything between noble and ska. They don't really talk about that very much. I'm assuming there's a populace that is not slave, but is also not like noble. But we haven't we haven't been experienced or we we haven't been exposed to that at all yet, have we? I don't think so. No, no travelers. I get. I guess. I guess initially. They talk about travelers, the mm-hmm. Skadu. Um, what's that go from place to place? Yeah, in 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 the um, in the prologue, uh, Menace. Menace talks about and, and that band of ska, that hovel of ska, talk about the travelers, and they make that delineation between traveler and other ska but that's the only sort of intermediary between ska and noble that we know of at this point yeah it's it's interesting there there's so many again we talked about world building and inside of this quite a bit but there are so many questions that are left lingering here and i think this is just another example of one of those tendrils that is is kind of left out for you to like try to discern exactly what it is but we don't have an answer yet yeah so I'm just curious on your thoughts to, to start with. So in this perspective from Kelsier, we are also introduced to Dachshund, Uh And we also begin to get a sense of their relationship when they're talking about how they ac- how uh, Kelsier accidentally kills a nobleman and how they had a previous relationship potentially before whatever happened to Kelsier happened, you know, with a knife to the chest or rather a pair of knives pays to be careful uh, to kill trusting as, as he speaks. He also switches to the sort of wistfully negative tone, thinking internally, sometimes Kelsier felt that a ska missing his life wasn't so much about surviving as it was about picking the right time to die. 
What would you make of uh, of Doxin and kind of Kelsier interacting with another character that he knows, another person that he knows? So, do we know what Doxin is at this point? Like, I, I know later on it's mentioned that neither Kelsier or Doxin are mistings. We don't explicitly see him perform any allomancy unless he's working like. The only thought is maybe he's working in conjunction with Kelsier during the scene where he's calming the emotions of Vin's compatriots. But we do know that he's not a uh, misting, misling. No, what's the term? Misting, misting. misting. Yep, yep. Uh, we know we know he's not a misting, which at this point, based on what we've been exposed to through the end of the uh, chapters that we're reading today. Cause it's not at this point yet. And I'm jumping forward and I apologize, but no, it's, it's, okay. it's, it's been on my mind ever since meeting him. He is either a mistborn or he is someone mundane or like uh mortal or however you want to describe it. Somebody non magical or something else entirely. And it, it's very, either it's explicitly left out from description or I'm missing something and I'm not sure which. So if you have insight on that, otherwise I'm going to assume that he's something else. I would say that I think that you are on the money thoughts about what Doxon could be. Could he be, could he be something inside of a different magic system that we maybe don't understand? Could he be something? Could he be, as we as we understand them at the end of this chapter, they're mistings and mistborn. There's no combination of like you can use two metals. It's if you can use more than one metal, you can use them all, right? Right. So as we understand it, that means from our perspective, Doxin is either a mistborn or a nobody. However, leaving the future open nobody meaning like no magical potential for the record like not not saying that he's actually a nobody um but, but leaving leaving the intention open kind of like you're thinking there is potential for him to be something else and like maybe kelsey is hinting at that and that's i think something that's kind of left up to the viewer to try to try to discern how much they trust this uh this point of view right that we get from both kelsey and now from vin on kelsey Right. Um, the one exception to that, and I don't know if it's actually an exception, we do know that obligators, or or high-level obligators at least, mm-hmm. are trained to know when they've been tampered with. It's unclear at this point if that is another source uh, or a completely separate source of mystical ability, or if it's just kind of mortal training on how to understand when your mind is being tampered with. Right. Right. Which is something else entirely. But, um, Doxin is a very interesting character and I am excited to see where we go with him and what he is. If anything, any, um, I, I totally agree. I think that like Doxin and this question that kind of like Kelsey poses very near the end of this entire section that we're going to read is, is an interesting one. And I think jumping into it here makes a lot of sense because a lot of times this story is going to be more, it's going to have some feedback loops inside of it where it's like, what's real, what's not, what's our question, what's, what's looking forward. 
I think that's an interesting difference versus something that we've read before. So the feedback loop here inside of the story will be fun to discuss. So uh, any other thoughts on um, anything else relating to kind of that, that conversation? I don't think so. I think that's okay. uh, all right. I mean, uh, obviously, so, so I guess that's one sort of world building point that we sure. kind of get here in that Kelsier burned down a noble's home. And like his mm-hmm. mansion freed all of the ska that were working underneath him. And this is not like, obviously people know about it and word is being spread and, and like information is being distributed, but it isn't act like it, it isn't regarded as like a high alert act of terrorism or anything like that. This right is not necessarily um a common thing but it's not a a thing that raises nationwide concern mm-hmm. as far as i can tell you know it's like oh you were the one behind that shit like blah 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 blah, blah. like it, it's not That's interesting yeah it's not a thing that brings the entire like it, it's not something that makes the lord ruler tighten up security on a on a tangible level from our perspective at this point yet yes and i think we are kind of removed from that like you're suggesting Mm -hmm. but but again the reality of this exchange that they're having near the end here is about this new job right they're talking about the other things they're talking about what kelsey has done the violence enacted and the way that like maybe the people aren't reacting and and some of that might be attributed to the lord ruler's power structure and how he might want to keep these kind of rebellions quiet what have you could be something there uh but there's a little bit of planning together here with dachshund and dachshund is kind of like both shocked at the return of kelsier as well as excited inside of this conversation he's also a little bit wary of some of the changes that he sees despite his positive familiarity with the man he even goes so far as to say after kelsier talks about sneaking in dimension oh that'll take some getting used to and that's kind of curious. Yeah, it's very curious. So, in this sort, in the aftermath of that conversation and the extension of that conversation, Kelsier explicitly mentions that Doxon is used to working with Mistings before, and Doxon responds with this with something to the along the lines of this being different. So th- this got my wheels turning. This got my gears going a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, what All the right. fuck is Doxon? And there's a couple different sort of paths that we could follow here. Maybe it's a Mistborn versus Misting thing. Like, he's worked with Mistings before, but like a Mistborn that can deal with all of these things is something new to him. Sure. Uh, Like, because Mistings are fucking tiny, insignificant, like bullshit, whatever people that don't matter to the story anymore because Mistborns exist. (laughs) all right i mean one in ten thousand ska yeah or not not one in ten thousand half breeds are mistings correct right i believe that's right i think that's what they said so that's mistings not mistborn right right be they don't give a figure for mistborns but Mm -hmm. you know do you think you've met ten thousand people in your life um no no. Not like that, like, know my name. And, and probably. so Kelsier 
mentions that he's only met one other mistborn ska in his life. This is going later. Sorry, I'm getting into the math here. Um, yeah, no, it's. I, I think it's important. So, That's one right. in ten thousand half breeds, half breed ska are mistborn or mistings, which is point oh one percent. And presumably, mistborns are incredibly rare, even among them. So, obviously, Kelsier is expl- like intentionally seeking out mistings. So, like mm-hmm. that skews the numbers a bit, but like that's fucking crazy how few there would be then. But you know, all all world building, we have no idea the scale of anything. We don't. We have no idea what the population of we don't know what the ska population is. We don't know what the general population is. We know nothing. But anyway, uh, I figured I'd get that out of the way. But we know that Kelsier is specifically um, adept to stealth things. It's hard to tell if that's like going invisible or teleportation or something like that. And whether or not that's a normal misting, mistborn ability or not. Um Maybe Doxin is able to sense when allomancy is being performed, much like the obligators maybe are. Like maybe maybe it's something like that. Like he's from the same descent as the obligators are, and it has been trained into knowing when allomancy is being performed. But for whatever reason, Kelsier isn't doesn't give off the same signals or the same. Like he, he's able to do it in a way that isn't detectable. Like th- those are the thoughts running through my mind when I'm like trying to think of like what this all the this conversation was a point of a lot of thought for me. <laughs> if you can't tell, <laughs> yeah, no, I I love that though. I I think that that's a great thing to have happen, and uh, I think that's kind of like this entire first section that I've I've picked out here for us to read is um is a lot of questions and like some answers, but not not everything's answered yet. I'm sorry for how much of a ramble that was, by the way. No, it was, it was good. It was good, man. Like speculating your thoughts are great. So I am, um, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm super excited. So there's a lot of terminology, kind of like you said, that's kind of being thrown around here when discussing the potential crew that we have here building. We've got Ham, who's mentioned Breeze, a dead man named Trap, of whom is no longer going to be option an option for the crew as the crew's smoker. Uh, before proposing clubs and his tin eye cousin. He also talks about his brother Marsh before Doxon brings up something that's worth his time. What'd you get out of this sort of brief end to this conversation? Heist movie setup. <laughs> I'm so fucking here for it. I'm so excited. Like this is a band of wacky named characters getting together to pull something off. And I'm so excited. It's a fucking heist book, dude. Like it's a heist <laughs> book. Like how fucking a fantasy heist book. Like how cool is that? This is so, so fucking neat. cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's all that's gone through my mind here. Like, Oh, Oh, that's a, that's a fun name. Tin eye. Mm-hmm. Obviously I'm assuming means they can perceive things well, because we know that, when Kelsier taps into his tin reserves, he is able to hear hear things from a great distance away. The light in the room gets brighter. He like every all of his senses are heightened. So I'm assuming Tin Eye is the lookout of the group. Great call. Great call. Uh, Love that. 
That's yeah. the only one. There's that's... an intensification yeah. of, of senses for sure. Yeah. Like it, it all intensifies. Exactly. Um, smoker is the only one that like smoker is a term that we get here and we don't really get a whole lot of explanation for it. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's something kind of the inverse of the tin eye in that okay. maybe it's obfuscating somebody else's senses. So like instead of heightening your own, it's dulling somebody else's. So creating a smoke screen in a metaphorical term. Um, but that's all I get as far as uh, what can be made from those names. Yeah. I am, um, you know, man, I am so glad that you latched into the like heist idea of this right away <laughs> because it is, it is very, that is very clearly what it's going for. Um, yeah. And it, uh, it's, um, you know, like what, what do, what do I even say at this point? Yeah. You're, you're right. Um, without like, like very clearly the story spells out the fact that you're correct. Like I'm not spoiling anything in advance. This is, it appears to be the building of a high school. This appears to be assembling a group of people with particular skills to pull something off. We don't know what that yeah. something is yet. Heist, heist, I guess technically implies that they're stealing something, but I think we can go a little bit more broad than that. And they're not necessarily going to steal something, but they're going to do something covertly, you know, like, mm-hmm. sure. And sure. I feel like that still falls in the same category. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it definitely does. But yeah. The fantasy heist book. How fucking wild. So we cut from there back to Vin and we see that she's continuing the curious habit of always being aware of the nearby exits, looking for her way out. If she needs to run, She's sort of haunted by these traumas that have reen of the men in her life like came in. It's been kind of a hard path for her and you can't really blame her for any of these reactions and kind of feelings that she has on the front end. There, there are a ton of refrains of her running through her head and she's in these moments. She's thinking about how her brother is basically talking to her and saying like anyone can betray you, anyone. And she she just has this very interesting internal monologue and i kind of want to get your thoughts on what that internal story is like for her well i mean she's clearly like deeply deeply traumatized and seemingly has yet to find anybody that actually cares for her Mm -hmm. she talks very fondly about reen but the only nice act from him that she actually explicitly mentions is that he rescued her from from her mother Mm mm-hmm and from from the situation she was in before she even mentions that reen has i th- i i don't know if this is a quote but it's very close <laughs> to a quote um mm-hmm. that he would always abandon her always abandon her like uh, or so, that reen always said that he would abandon her i think yep right would always like eventually there was this promise of being left alone yeah and he did and that that hurts too but getting later on in the in the chapters it it seems like he wasn't that great to her either like there there was some abuse there and maybe i'm misremembering and maybe i'm just thinking about like when they were together and she was abused but i feel like he wasn't like strictly great to her regardless and i think that that's the picture painted at this point is that he was not great to her despite doing some good things for her. Yeah. He he saved her from being killed, but that's about it 
as far as we understand at this point for what he did for her. Yeah. Um, he, um, he appeared to try to provide some like hard lessons, but did he actually, did, did they matter? Were they important? You know, it's mm-hmm. a question and in of itself. Really? It's the thing driving her to stay here with this crew is the fact that she is terrified of being alone. So like, even though she's being beaten and, abused and traumatized constantly at least she's not alone and apparently that's enough for her to to be to continue working with them yeah, and that that hurts like it, it hurts from a narrative perspective for for this character that we were beginning to know and kind of like try to come to understand we move from that introduction and kind of the the internal monologue to that of our run-in our second run-in i should say with an obligator this time the high prelin Ariev and Kamen sort of begs for this deal. He he's he's coming out and he's very um subservient. He's cutting out a middleman here. Later we learn that the Hyperlin being here is really just a tactic to suss out people like Vin who are pushing on people's emotions, and that this was all really about capturing her because of the understanding of the obligators that we get from Kelsier's perspective more than anything else. Hmm. So this is initially, I remember like wondering if this was because we know that, uh, Vin is paranoid about Mm -hmm. the way this goes. Yeah. I was curious until we learned later if uh if this was kind of a strategic move by the obligator to uh to trap them to a certain extent mm-hmm. right. or if if they had the ability to understand what had happened but only after the fa- after the fact you know if they're still going to act as if they were under their influence but then later could know like hey they fucked with me let's go get them you know like right and maybe maybe that's not that important of a nuance but i in this case i feel like it is and it seems to be the cases that they know when they're being tampered with and this obligator decided to just let him go with it to try to source where they're hiding correct yeah i think it's more accurate especially as we consider what kelsier later does with the steel inquisitor right like the way that he handles kind of the judgment arm of of this organization is interesting right like he chooses to distract the seal inquisitor we know that there are other people of course that are chasing them down but the inquisitor is is interesting we'll get there for sure but mm-hmm. um yeah i i think i agree with you for the most part i think that that's kind of the role of the obligator right is to to be this middleman that isn't responsible for justice but is more like a an inverted detective in its own way. Like as opposed to a detective going to solve a murder, they're instead showing up and waiting for them to be acted against, which is interesting. Right. Yeah. So I wanted to bring something up here. That's a little bit interesting as we're talking about the Canton of finance and money and and components like that. Um, The currency in this world is called boxings. And I listened to, I think I mentioned this in episode zero, but I listened to all of 
Brandon Sanderson's lectures on how to build a fantasy world and how to build and world build and, and write your your novel of your dreams. And I think he did a great job. That that lecture is incredible. That lecture set, I should say. I think there's 13 or 14 episodes. Um, that lecture set is absolutely incredible. I think it's crucial for a lot of people that want to think in the same way that Brandon does. I think that it's a great way to kind of think about your intro to how you might tell a story. And uh, one of the things that he mentioned offhandedly, I believe, was that it's important to not name things that sound stupid when they're repeated. Uh, and and it was almost implied, I feel like he mentioned, but I can't remember quite precisely right now. Didn't have time to double check. But I think that he was specifically talking about the fact that he called currency in Mistborn boxings. Um, I think he was a little bit, a little bit grumpy about that in, in the later terms, but it, it, it's an interesting to think about the importance of terminology in a world like this. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. It works. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But it, it felt unnecessarily distinct mm-hmm. from anything else for that reason. Like, I, I don't know if it's the right way to describe it, but a little bit cheesy and corny to a certain extent. It is the like, corniest thing of the story. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fine. Like, I, I don't have a problem with it. It's just, I can absolutely believe that if this was reapproached, this would get like edited and changed and whatever. But I, at the same time, I'm sure there's some sort of lore, if not explicitly written somewhere in Brandon Sanderson's head about why it's named Boxings. Mm-hmm. Because it, it seems like a, granted, this is the first, what, 60 pages of the book, but <laughs> right. it seems like he is very calculated in the way that he writes things. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the fact that there are all these like flash forward points. So like we know where this is going to go hypothetically which means it's it's been thought about and has been mm-hmm. kind of pre-written to a certain extent so i'm sure yeah. there's a reason behind the term boxings it just sounds fucking dumb <laughs> so right yeah it's it's definitely hard to quantify on on your side of things to like try to come up with an understanding of what exactly you know like it's it it is money we can understand that it's money but from our perspective calling it boxings is just so strange it's one of the small things that like your whatever your fantasy thesaurus and dictionary are like keep that in mind when you're writing i think it's interesting yeah Uh, like and that that is to be said that from the outside looking in if you're not familiar with it being a currency dollars sounds just as dumb mm -hmm. so like you know like yeah our familiarity is half the problem for sure yeah yeah, like that's that's the biggest point of it. But playing into that to a certain extent, it, it like I said, unnecessarily distinct, but not to the point where it's a sticking point for me. Like it, it just it, it didn't bother me, but it was different enough that it st- stuck out. Yeah, 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 that makes sense to me. From from there, we cut back to Kelsier and we get a bit more information on Allomancy and trace minerals in the water supply being the source of the metals that Vin is burning. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but after that little info dump that we get, we also meet a truly terrifying visage of a creature, a steel inquisitor, a man with two giant metal spikes driven through his eye holes and out the other side and left with like these little like dime plates on the front of their face. I, I think that that is absolutely 
terrifying and the fact that it's coming for Vin is she has no idea what's going on. And I, I think in a big way, this guy alone kind of shifts the tone of the story to me. I, I find this very terrifying, this description horrifying. Uh, I mean, I didn't find the d- description of the Seal Inquisitor to be particularly terrifying at all. Based on the way it was described, it was like a big person with CDs strapped to their eye holes. Oh my god. Um, like that's what I I imagine me a big person with like CDs over my face. Um now that like I'm not going to diminish the fact that like the characters are terrified of it. So like clearly it it is an imposing figure. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. But for whatever reason, like it didn't grip me as a particularly intimidating presence. But I mean, that's just me not being able to visualize things. Maybe again. You so know, I sent I you right now while we're sitting here a visualization that I had kind of stored away here for this moment, and I I just want your impression on the picture. Again, this will be in the show notes so that everyone else can see. I don't. I, I'm not going to say it looks dumb. But it doesn't look terrifying. It just looks the, like a like a big dude with with spikes instead of eyes. But he doesn't have eyes. <laughs> like how does he see? Like that's the spikes. They're, 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 the, okay. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't. I don't know what I mean. <laughs> we know that everything is so well defined in this world that the idea of this guy kind of like walking around reminds me my first impression of this is such a strange pull but my first impression of a steel inquisitor when i heard the description was that uh it was very similar to malthael in the diablo 3 expansion description when he shows up in that cinematic what's it called reaper of souls reaper of souls yeah Reaper of Souls. When he shows up in that cinematic for the Reaper of Souls, he reminds me in a lot of ways of the way that I think of the depiction of kind of the fear and terror that these people hold, these Inquisitors hold. And uh, the spikes through the eyes just gave it this physical feeling in the same way that the hood with nothing underneath makes Malthiel feel very strange and foreign and terrifying. Um, Yeah, that's what I got. But understood. I just wanted to clarify at the very least because, like, I had to give you some visual. If you if you can't visual, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> you send that back. No, <laughs> it's not CDs. There's no CDs in the front of this guy's face. I understand that there's circles, but they're like they're fucking like at the bottom of pint glasses. Maybe. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you're fired. Um. CD straps to their eye holes. How dare you? All right. So anyway, I think they're scary. You're like, which uh. <laughs> 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 is funny in and of itself. So mm. at the end of the scene, Kelsey are realizing what needs to be done to potentially save Vin and otherwise he downs the eight basic elementic metals, iron, steel, tin, pewter, copper, bronze, zinc, and brass before yanking on the emotions of the Inquisitor to give it a run through the streets of Luthadel. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I mentioned before, we know tin and that increases perception. We know that there are two that Vin experiences after this one of subduing emotions, one of inflaming emotions. I'm of the opinion that it's probably the same metal 
that causes both of those, but it's not super clear because there's two sources that she's tapping into distinctively, but maybe, maybe it's just two different piles of the same thing. I don't, I don't fucking know. Whatever. Um, <laughs> yep. But we don't know what any of the other metals are attributed to. And I am so excited to see what all of the other ones actually do. And if there's any way to suss out what they might be doing based on what metal they are. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. What's weird to me is that iron and steel are uh, distinct here, which uh, same with like copper and bronze or brass and right. brass. Like I'm curious how many of these are going to overlap and be like derivatives of each other or, or if they're all going to be explicitly distinct. Um, so sure. Yeah. I don't know. All right. It, it, but I, I like that we know all eight of them right now. Yeah. Right. That we've got a sense of these right off the bat. Cool. With that scary run that Kelsey is running through, we move into chapter. Very, very scary CD, man. I swear to God. I'm in <laughs> uh, our fourth journal entry of the week is one that talks about terrace and the people who live there, as well as their prophecies and religions as the ones that drive the world. Any thoughts that you have right here off this prophecy? So in, in regard to the, in, in regard to the prophecies, which are pretty heavily emphasized through several of these entries, I'm inclined to believe that this is rooted in some sort of magical system, whether or not it's the same allomancy. I don't know. I'm, I'm almost going to straight up guess that it's something else and some other fantastical uh, magical system that also exists but is separate it it seems more than just prophecy and and actually instead actual peering into the future okay all right interesting so we'll we'll move on from the prophecy of course to uh starting with no follow-up there you're not gonna not gonna well Reveal something to me. No, absolutely not. The, the goal here is to not reveal, but to like let that's you speculate. Point. And I think that's also a fun point of these prophecies, right? It's like let you speculate and kind of these are almost in their own right, like predictions of sorts that we might have on top of the entire episode. So we start with Vin, of course, sitting in her corner, immediately suspicious of the windfall of 3000 boxings that the Canton parted with so easily. She tries to convince her friend Ulif that they need to leave she gathers up her small set of belongings to do so. Pebbles from any of the cities that she's been to, a small earring that Vin's mother had given her, and a small piece of obsidian. Do you have any thoughts on these belongings and what they might mean to her? I mean, they're just so simple, meager belongings. And as I mentioned before, it just embodies the idea of humble beginnings. We are so... And maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me and for whatever reason resonating with this character. But I feel so perfectly poised to become deeply, deeply emotionally attached to her and her story and her growth. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I have no idea why this is gripping me so much. Like there, there are <laughs> s- some things like the really tangible, crunchy magic system that I'm like, I know that's something I would gravitate towards, mm-hmm. but I don't know why this is making me like emotionally attached to her. I don't understand that, but it's, 
it's happening and I like it. So, <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. know. I'm here. All right. I'm ready. All right. I dig that. I dig that. Um, she gathers up these small parts of, of what, what exactly she's trying to assemble to, to leave the place. She, of course, can't take the bigger things like her bedroll and otherwise without tipping off other people. And uh, she comes to this horrible realization when she emerges from gathering her things to find that Ulif, her friend, is whispering to Cayman and storing him into a rage as she is set to leave. She throws a st- he excuse me he throws a stool at her, beats her, and of course, in those moments, Reen's voice comes back to her, seemingly whispering in her ear. In this moment, fool, ruthlessness—it's the most logical of emotions. You don't have any friends in the underworld. You'll never have any friends in the underworld. This is—I mean, what do you think? God, it's, it's tragic and it's disgusting. So, like. First of all, like, we know she's a 16-year-old girl, mm-hmm. and it is despicable that he would do that to to her in general. Yeah. Like, but beyond that, we also know that she is a small person, looks even smaller and younger than, than what you would think of as a 16-year-old girl, which in a very depressing yeah. way – she immediately like talks about that as being something that some men would like anyway, which is fucking horrifying. Right. Um, right. But bringing it, which back, is why she's not feminine and that's why she doesn't like put the earring in most of the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but beyond that, just this world sucks. And yeah. I know that's true for our world too. And f- that's horrifying and just awful in and of itself. But, came in specifically like this is coming from a separate thing and it doesn't seem to be at all connected to who she is or like the her age or her gender or her size or anything at all it's just that she's below him and she dare decide to leave this does this makes it seem like and makes gives the realization that this isn't a band and a group at all this is Cayman employing basically slaves to do his his heist bidding because mm-hmm. obviously based on those belongings she doesn't get a cut of any of that presumably she especially doesn't because of the debt of reen right like okay okay she was saddled either way with it. well i'm just saying in addition she also doesn't get anything like maybe all of these people are are kind of in a similar circumstance to what you're describing but in addition she doesn't get it because of the debt that reen left yeah so it's just bullshit yes he, he especially feels guy. onerous of her right like yeah it is bullshit for sure so i don't know yeah i feel strongly about this absolute pig of a person yeah no came in like so does kelsier right like kelsier inside of the room is able to detect these things on the outside before the steel inquisitor stuff and um he is very much like thinking about how he is going to deal with this man reasonably and uh it feels mm-hmm. like he's trying to avoid just killing him because that would be too clean in a large way and we'll, we'll talk about that more in a second yeah. but yeah yeah. To that point, though, like Kelsier, a complete stranger to Vin, as of yet, bursts through the door and throws Cayman against the wall, pushing him with something that Vin isn't able to perceive. She also feels her emotions squelched, helping her deal with the pain in the moment of, of what's already happened to her, as well as the emotional pain, as this mysterious 
stranger enters her life and uses, as she says, her luck on herself or yeah. luck on herself, not her luck. You, you know. Yeah. 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 I know what you mean, but this is awesome. And like, talk about just like perfect timing. And obviously this is a narratively like driven book. Like obviously he's going to write this to like happen at the most dramatic time. So it's whatever, but like it, it is perfect timing from her perspective of being saved from a horrible beating or worse. I, I think the other beyond the satisfaction of Cayman being reprimanded to a certain extent, mm-hmm. it also begin uh, begins building this myth of Kelsier mm-hmm. and the fact that a lot of the crew know who he is. So that that's a fun, different, like uh, separate aspect of this story and this this part of the story. But um, it's just satisfying to see this man get dressed down verbally and physically and uh, letting his crew (laughs) take care of him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. (sighs) Yep. Kelsier, of course, from there, like you said, he he dresses them down. He goes on to explain how Cayman's crew is in his debt for dealing with the seemingly immortal Inquisitor leading that them off of their trail as well as the prelin and others who are looking for the opportunity to hunt them down his price of course is the 3000 boxings that they receive from the job the punishment of cayman for being an awful shitty fucking person and mm-hmm. a private conversation with vin alone in the safe house Malev, the new crew leader quickly agrees what spawns from there of course is a wonderful conversation about vin's potential yeah so one thing that you didn't actually mention but I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting and brings to question some other things within Kelsier's powers or or not. And I, I'm curious what you think of this. He mentions that he knows about the spies within the walls looking through the cracks to see what's going on and instructs to have them like have them brought out and left like leave with them as well. Does he say there's four of them? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think he does. He either there's a couple aspects of this. Like he can either feel the people to us, like to feel in quotes, I guess the people that he affects with luck. If it's like an area of effect thing, like I'm again, looking at this from a video game perspective to a certain extent, like if he is doing this mass luck expenditure and is able to like, feel who he's affecting within that sort of range mm-hmm. and know exactly how many people he's affecting and where they are. Like that's one option. He might have some extra way perceptively what's going on. Like, like if he, if it's part of tins powers and like, he's really granularly able to detect movement or sound or anything like that. To the point of being able to like hear where they are within the walls. Or if he just understands, like if he just somehow previously knows about this place and what's around and how they operate. Like if he did research on this troop or this location that they're calling home at this moment, something like that. Like there, there's, 
there's a few different ways that could have gone, but clearly he has more information than it seems like he should have, which I don't okay. know. I'm guessing so, it being connected to Alamancy in some way. So, okay. That, that was really my clarifying question here is you're guessing it's connected to Alamancy, right? Yes. Like that's your, your assumption is it's not previously acquired knowledge. It's active knowledge. Correct. Okay. All right. So without talking about it too much, like, what do we know about Alamancy so far? We really have two skills defined to some degree out of a potential eight and their implications. I mean, two more, two or three, depending on yeah. like, right. Two or three. Right. Yeah. Cause we, we don't, I'm my, my assumption and my guess is that the, uh, the emotional heightening versus depressing is from the same source. And it's just two different things that you can do with it. Okay. Uh, no, not necessarily, though. Actually, it has to be separate metals, doesn't it? Because otherwise there would be no way of knowing that she enhances his emotions and she depresses his emotions. Like, calms his emotions. And that's proof that she can handle at least two different metals. So they have to be separate metals, then. That feels shitty, that feels really shitty that, that those are two distinct metals, doesn't it? No, I, I, I don't know that it does. I think that there's more to learn here, um, but it might feel shitty to some degree. I feel shitty. Like, how those should be, those those should be the things. same metal. Like, how, I want more powers. You... I want more different powers. <laughs> <laughs> how, how would you define those, though? Like, so both of those are probably, they're emotional based on your yeah. descriptions, right? Like, like I feel like one metal should that? be calming or, like, altering emotion should be one. Okay. As opposed to heightening emotion and reducing emotion. Sure. Like, the, that's a quarter of the metals. <laughs> again kelsier does at least clarify once the basic alimantic metals so i'm not gonna yeah. not shutting down your idea i know man, but i know i'm just also clarifying there are eight basic metals as far as we know so i was just um, yeah for the long like I, I was thinking about this and i'm like ready to talk about what i uh-huh. think here and i'm realizing no the fact that she can do like both heighten and she dampen emotions that, yeah determines yeah. that she can handle two metals right and right the question still exists though on whether or not it's area of effect if like if it's exerted yeah. over multiple people like there, yeah, there are other questions that exist here yet for how exactly these kind of things function which i think you did a great job of like discussing the idea of um mm-hmm. and uh yeah there's there's no firm answer so right not yet yeah. at least I'm hoping yeah, there will I f- be. I'm guessing. I fucking love be. this, though. You can tell I'm smiling. I'm, this is like a kid yeah, on Christmas. Of course We're I like can. in December right now. Like, I'm having a great fucking time um, talking about God, this, it's so. December. Shit. I know, right? Like, we I, somehow this entire fucking month snuck up on me. All of Thanksgiving dissolved. All of, all of Thanksgiving. All of November dissolved before my eyes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, more than that for me. But, um, <laughs> weird tangent we got some snow last night like a couple inches of snow as opposed to just a dusting i have two puppies and neither of them are old enough to have experienced winter yet so they fucking loved the snow today (laughs) that's an experience that's so interesting but also fascinating 
so much snow sticks to their feet that I have to like, every time I let them back inside, I have to like scrape the snow off their feet and like not pull too hard because it'll just rip out their, their hair. They're golden doodles. Yeah. One's a poodle. One's a golden doodle. So none of them have like, neither of them have shedding hairs, like shedding fur. So it's like hair. So I don't want to like rip their hair out. (laughs) So I have to like, I had a hair dryer. I was like heating it up so I could melt it a little bit to scrape it off. It was a mess, but they had like all they wanted to do all day so far was be outside. So, um, so that was fun. So cool. But it's similar, kind of like emotionally, like this is a depth of experience that, that happens here. So, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Love that. I love that. We move from the scene of, of, of the initial confrontation with Mylev, the new crew leader, came in being put out on the street, being made to be a beggar, into one in which Kelsier and Doxon talk about drinking wine, and they're, they're here to converse with Vin specifically. That's a part of this agreement. And uh, they drink ale and wine. I, I, that, by our rules, is a drink for us. Anytime anyone else drinks inside of a scene, I we think take a drink. I think there is one point earlier and I mean, it's the lead up to this scene. Uh, they're drinking as well. So yes, I think Cayman is technically drinking cause he's at the bar. So I think you're right. We probably owe to And there, there's a point where Vin is drinking ale before this point, baby. I don't fully remember, but I, I think, I think it's also like, like, it's the lead up scene before she goes I, and talk. Recommending we take three drinks. Before? I'm talking uh, two. Let's do two. That is the sound of me being out of mimosa. I am finishing my beer at this point now, too. So I had a whole fucking bottle of champagne on this show. What the fuck is that? Regardless, ale ale and wine. That's a drink for us, as I said. I uh, Cheers, by the way. We had two, you said, right? I already took mine and finished my beer, so. Nice. I finished um, the last of the mimosa here, too. So (laughs) Good. So I do find this sort of interesting and this is kind of an interesting thing to bring up here brandon sanderson is a member of the mormon church a member of the latter-day saints and he interestingly enough was roommates in college with jeopardy star ken jennings the number one most winningest jeopardy star of all time right like the guy who is currently the 50 like i think 70 30 host of of the show in in post of uh, of all the changes that have happened over the last year losing but uh pretty famously in his i think second or third episode he got all of the questions related to alcohol wrong and uh the next day when he came back he still won despite all the questions on alcohol he had memorized a list of mixed drinks alcohol composition of beverages he had gone through and kind of like learned all the shit um, despite being a member of the Latter-day Saints and like got all of the questions right going forward. And when he was done, this is a story from Brandon Sanderson, he was done, the elders of the LDS took him aside and, and said something along the lines of, do you have something to tell us, Mr. <laughs> Jennings? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, which is, I, I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's wonderful. I think it's an interesting little kind of fun anecdote. Um but I, I do it, – it is interesting, of course, and it's, it's a writer's experience to try to write about something that they don't understand and try to make it make sense to other people. So I, I think he doesn't fully understand but, like, gets enough and, like, you know, you're trying to interpret the difference. I'm not saying he's misrepresenting it or anything like that, but I mean, I, sometimes I'm gonna, you got to make shit up. 
I'm going to go ahead and defend him a little bit here and not even say that he's, he's not at this point, at least as far as I can tell, making anything up because he's not writing from the perspective of somebody that's drunk. He is writing from the perspective of somebody experience, like interacting with somebody that's drunk. Yeah, totally. Totally. Which is completely conceivable that he's experienced. Like it's almost inconceivable that he's never experienced that. So I'm inclined to believe that he is still not writing about anything that he doesn't explicitly have experience in because he's not, he's not trying to pretend that he knows what it means to be drunk. Yeah. I think I'm also trying to make a statement about all the alcohol in the series all at once here uh, to some degree, you know, like regardless of the circumstance at the moment, like Brandon doesn't have experience with alcohol and that's okay. It's absolutely fine. We don't Um, know that for sure. We know that from a, an, upstanding later day saint later day saints citizen here that which brandon is the upstanding public, liter- publicly yeah. publicly He's, and like, yeah in, in in these interviews it, it is very much a conviction the interview that i'm citing is actually from a uh, similarly named podcast i th- so from a podcast that happened back in 2012 pj july of 2012 we were just out of high school literate liquors interviewed Brandon Sanderson and John Hartness, the host. Uh, this is where the story comes from. For the most part, is from that show, and uh, yeah, they kind of go through a lot of a lot of the beats and talk about the Ken Jennings thing and everything else that kind of comes from that. But uh, this is what gives me that kind of note of uh, you know not understanding fully what it means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that total totally makes sense. Either way. I don't think it changes like regardless of his personal view on things I don't I don't think it changes general understanding of what alcohol does to people and mm-hmm. I don't think alcohol is such a unique like experience that if somebody doesn't have experience with it it like if somebody has ever interacted with somebody that's drunk you're going to have a pretty good inclination yeah way way of understanding what a drunk person feels like and thinks yeah like it you kind of wear your emotions on your sleeve at that point right right and i i definitely i enjoy that about kind of this this show as it's discussed and kind of the the other things that go around or inside that podcast um they do a good job talking about things they actually end up talking about the entire series of books so you can't read it but we also get a couple of answers here to questions in kind of our back and forth doc Doxon is confirmed based on inferative kind of knowledge not to be a missing could be a mistborn potentially but neither is kelsier kelsier is a mistborn as we understand him mm-hmm. to have used different metals here he's a half-breed ska nobleman in, in kind of that way half-breed just like vin is and if a performing a quick test with two metal vials we discover that she too is a very rare mistborn someone who's able to use all eight basic elementic metals does she take two i thought it was just one so there are two metals in the vial oh it's there are two, two metals, metals in, in a single vial okay yep yep okay so it's okay. one okay. vial that she downs but there are two different metals gotcha. and kelsier might have assumed that if she drank them because the one that they knew, they they knew one of the metals uh, because she was able to exert that thing, the luck, as she says it, 
she was able to do that. So they added an extra one to see if she could do both. Yeah. Um, but like I mentioned before, this is like the point of being curious about Dachshund and, and what he is, because it, it is very explicitly not mentioned what he is. As far as I remember, like it, it is all it's we pretty, know is he's, he's not a mystic. Yep. But we don't know if he's a mistborn or mundane. Is it, I'm using mundane as if that's like the term for people that are not in tune with. Uh, it's reasonable. So like, I, I'm sure. Actually, I'm not sure. But I would assume that there's a term that will come up later that refers to that sort of subset of people, the general populace sure. that are not affect not not um i guess uh, i guess affected with this ability mm-hmm. but we don't know that at this point so i'm gonna use mundane sure because it makes sense to me so sorry if that is not the right term and i'll correct myself when that term comes about anyway i'm i'm really thinking i'm genuinely thinking that there is something more to him and it doesn't have anything to do with alamancy and is some sort of something else. I am so excited to look at this further in future episodes. Mm-hmm. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Raffo, as as fans might say. Uh, but Raffo? Yeah. Raffo, read and find out. You, you said that with such conviction as if I understood. Well, it's a... Jordan, it's a Robert Jordan thing attached to Brandon Sanderson because Brandon. I don't, Sanderson I don't know who adopted. Robert Jordan is. Robert Jordan wrote the Wheel of Time. He okay, died don't. before he finished it. Well, Brandon Sanderson finished the Wheel of Time. There's, there's your like backstory. Okay, yeah. Okay, so that's where Raffo comes from. Is like it, it was the answer in interviews, right? So when you're like asked, like, what does this mean? It's like fucking read and find out, dude. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> when the book comes out you'll know like you'll get it right. so yeah Vin also here though reveals something very important she reveals that her father is a high prelin in the steel ministry and that she's aware of this and that her mother had tried to kill her once with Reen intervening and saving her life this is all fueling further trauma for our poor ghoul girl being with poor ghoul our poor girl and uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it just propels the further trauma, right, that this girl has experienced. It's it's awful. It's awful. Mm. So we do get the name Steel. Gru. His name is Gru. All right, there we are. Gru okay. says Goral. That's why I default to Goral all the gotcha. time. Anyway. Gotcha. Despicable me. We're done. All right, continue. <laughs> we do find out about this. We, we found out a little bit because of this story about the Steel Ministry. We know that's where her father is from. We know that that's ironic or that it's mentioned that that's ironic, that that's where he's from. Um, Mm -hmm. Presumably, that means that beyond the Steel Inquisitors, which it makes sense now that there are they're a part of the Steel Ministry. They Mm -hmm. are tasked with hunting down mistings, essentially, mistborns and anybody who is able to utilize Alamancy. They are in tune with the use of allomancy mm-hmm. and presumably that comes from the steel ministry, which means the steel ministry I'm guessing is kind of the governing body on the use of allomancy and who is allowed to use it and who is it, who is not. 
So it makes sense that that's an, that's an irony in that her father is a, a high ranking official within that structure. Uh huh. I just found that super cool. And yeah. Yeah. It's especially giving what we know about Vin, right? Like she's been suffering this whole time and yet her father is a high nobility member and that sucks for Vin. What we don't know though, we don't know if her father knows that. True. Yeah. We don't know if her father knows about her existence. Mm-hmm. We just know that he presume like we, we know her mother was prostituting herself essentially. Yeah. Cause she had to, right. That's the yeah. explanation that's given. Yep. So like it is entirely conceivable and frankly, pretty believable that her father doesn't have any knowledge of her existence. So, you know, maybe he knows that it's a possibility that he has a child to any number of whores that he has uh, bedded in the past, but he doesn't necessarily know about her or specifically who she was birthed from. Nothing solid there, which is interesting. It's um, it's a like tough discernible point for her because like there is no real origin for for Vin outside of this like traumatic moment with her mom that she remembers, right? Like she knows that her dad is kind of this like foreign object to some degree because he's a part of the steel ministry and her mom was this, you know, the whore, um, as, as it's also explained in sort of the novel, um, but, a but a sex worker nonetheless. And she is uh, a product of that relationship. And it's, it's strange because our understanding as well of those relationships is that after that happens with the nobleman, the scar killed the scar women are are murdered before a child could be born yeah so to prevent a lot of the lord ruler half breeds so um a couple things here first of all i have to apologize immediately because i uh i channeled my inner (laughs) frank reynolds and and said whore Uh, oh no i got it (laughs) i totally understood what you're going for i I just didn't want to like yeah, make it sound yeah. like I was making a joke of the situation. Like it's obviously a very heavy situation that this uh, right. this backstory lends itself to. Um, two, we know that Vin was very nearly killed by her mother, and my assumption here, based on this knowledge and thinking about it more and more, my thought is her father found out about it and was pressuring her mother to kill her. Mm. At, in order to like save herself in that sense um okay. like th- there's pressure coming from somewhere to kill because otherwise why would it exist like people are fucking crazy i get that like some some parents are fucking insane and kill their children and it's horrifying but it happens and maybe she's found herself in that situation where her mother is a absolutely total like psychopath that wants to kill her child and get saved by her brother. But I'm more inclined to believe. Yeah. I'm more inclined to believe that she is being pressured by somebody higher up, presumably her father or somebody who works for her father to uh, get rid of her in order for there not to be problems going forward. But uh, who knows? We, this is all total speculation at this point. Yeah. Sorry. I just had to apologize for the who thing. Cause I definitely said that in, a comical. I I understood the Always Sunny reference for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I got it. That doesn't uh, make it okay to joke about. I feel like saying it like "whore" makes it more of a joke and less of a derogatory term. But maybe that's just 
doubly worse and I'm, I'm not sure so i figured I'd, uh, i actually think it makes it more of a derogatory term because it's, it assumes that it's a low profession and that's that's its own issue so yeah yeah, yeah. You, I, you, I feel you. it's whatever yep. man like either yep. way like i either way i'm sorry for making a joke out of it. yeah i mean apology accepted so the the final note of this week our fifth and final entry is one in the journal it's speaking about the journey ahead of our unnamed hero of ages he was looking to hire some terrorist pac-men as they're used to the cold that we are we'll be headed into so this is this is a point like this for this is the first journal entry where it doesn't feel like it's just world building and building on like what we believe this hero to be and uh-huh. understanding the gravity of the situation, anything like that. And my assumption now is that these terrorist Pac-Men are going to come into the story or, or something to that effect. Like I'm assuming, and maybe it's naive for me to think this way, but I'm assuming that these journal entries are going to go forward and become more relevant and directly relevant to the passage we're about to read in the story. Okay. Um, And I hope that's the case because I think it's fun for us in the way that we have set up our show for that to be like a point of foreshadowing. And for me to know this information before going into this chapter, like these chapters, I don't know. I don't know. I'm excited. Cool. Cool. You know, to me, that sounds like a, a good thought on uh, on where these uh, these narrative kind of uh, journal entries go. And uh, I don't have a whole lot to add there because naturally these are narrative journal entries and it's kind of meant to be left up to interpretation. So I don't want to comment too far uh, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of let you uh, swim, in, swim in your own filth, as it were. So well, gross. <laughs> uh with that we are done with this episode buddy we yeah. we made it through the reading we talked about a lot of things we talked about so much um we dug so, through a lot of uh go ahead this is the point where we would usually go into pj's predictions where uh cross will ask me a question of what i think will happen but this being the first episode we don't really have a whole lot to go on but if anybody, I, I think we briefly mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. If anybody has yes. anything, like any questions for like me, if you have anything for me to like guess what my predictions are, send them in to either our social media or our email. Um, all of which, by the way, can be found in our show notes. And Crossland will parse through those and figure out when is most appropriate to ask those of me. And we will uh, feature them on the show because super fun part of of the end of each episode. But we don't have anything for tonight. Similarly, we don't have any question of the week yet um, for a variety of reasons. One, it's been a, a while since we published an episode and we didn't ask that on like uh, and by publish an episode i mean like a major format like the way that we do our normal episodes it's been a month or more so we we don't have any question of the week from last month or last week and we don't really have a way of because of the way we're recording this we don't have a way of getting answers before we record our next episode so um 
this is where that will live. End of the episode. Question of the week. Completely tangentially related to the story, but not necessarily directly related. For example, we've asked, like, what's your favorite escape moment in any sort of story? Stuff like that. Um, that will live here, but that I think we're going to start in episode four, if I remember correctly. Like, that's sort of Yes, yes, because of the nature of the holiday seasons, we have actually have to condense our recording schedule here a reading and recording schedule. So come the beginning of part two, we will begin to ask our questions of the week per PJ's point. Right. But uh, yeah, more rambling on my, my end. So (laughs) no, I mean, you you hit it on the head again, send us in any of those thoughts. Uh, Make sure that if, if you want to answer the question of the week as well, put it on instagram i put it on twitter feel free to message us follow us check us out there uh but before we get too far ahead of ourselves we have to talk about what we're going to be reading next week so next week is going to be chapter four through six it's roughly the same amount of chunk if you're inside of the uh same chunk amount it's a you know it's it's chapter four through six it's going to be a-okay it's another 60 pages in the paperback, um, roughly 50-ish, I think, in the hardcover. So we're going to be tackling that chunk of the story here on the show. That's going to be the plan. Remember, so, when you read these, you want to make sure that you read the chapter. So if we're going through chapter six, that means you're going to read the chapter seven intro if you're looking at the book. If you're in the audiobook, you'll know that you're you're reading the uh, the intro ahead of time. So. Um, we, I think both have the same box set of paperbacks, I believe. Yes. So yep. I don't know if all paperbacks are the same, but for our copy, it is page 61 through 126. That is what we're reading. Yes. And again, you can always find our schedule for the chapters and related things at wordsandwhiskey.show forward slash schedule. So you can always check that out there. Beyond that, that's where we'll leave you for the week. Thank you once again, and as always, to Tim and Andrew. They make this show exist. Tim does all of our back-end things and is just fucking amazing at like all things software. And Andrew makes us actually sound presentable and does all of our mastering and like audio work. And we are so, so incredibly lucky to have both of them working for us so uh thank you both as always you can check out our show notes as crossland mentioned before um you'll find our schedule our patreon our previous episodes websites social medias all all in one convenient spot yeah, it's, it's all available within our show notes. Uh, again, our, our Patreon is available at patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. Our Instagram and Twitter are words whiskey show. And our email is words and whiskey show gmail.com. Yeah, so that's kind of the uh, the game plan for the most part. Uh, beyond that, please leave us and any other podcast you listen to a five star review on Apple Podcasts. It is so important strangely to the way that we do on every other platform regardless if you're listening on apple podcast or any other medium it takes a couple of seconds to create a profile it helps every podcast that you listen to highly recommend doing that um for whatever reason apple is still the the stranglehold 
on metrics. <laughs> so here we are. Now we're here. Uh, beyond that, we're so excited for our new patron to have joined us this week. Give a shout out to Barback Lex M. Thanks a million for supporting the show, friend. And uh, can't wait to talk to you all next week. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everybody. We will uh, see you at the next one. <laughs>